Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, bonjour, bonsoir, hello, hello, ça va, oui, ça va, bien, merci. Hmm, qu'est-ce qu'il y a dans le panier? Du vin, du pain, du boisson et un croissant. We are talking about croissants today, the invention of the croissant. Who doesn't love a croissant? Flaky, buttery, loveliness, absolutely indulgent, delicious. I always like a croissant with... La vache curry, you know, the laughing cow cheese that looks a little bit like Dairy Lee. Spread that on and then put jam on top. Absolutely delicious. Sacre bleu, sacrilegious perhaps, but there you go. That's how I like to eat a croissant. And of course, when we think of the croissant, we think of France. Croissants are so French, it hurts. Or so it seems. Actually, the croissant has its roots in Austria, and there they had crescent-shaped bread rolls, which are called the Kipfel. And there is one man that we can thank for bringing the Kipfel from Vienna to France, and that is a man called August Zang. No Zang, no croissant. Believe it or not, there was a time when French baking was actually really, really bad. Worse than English. Mon Dieu, sacre bleu, zut alors. And that was until August Zang arrived en Paris and opened an Austrian bakery that would change the course of French baking forever. Welcome to Patented. It's a podcast about the history of inventions. I'm Dallas Campbell. Today, it's the inventions of a particular culinary delight. Get ready for the story of the Big Zang and the birth of the croissant. Jim, thank you very much for joining us. I've got to sort one thing out firstly. The American pronunciation of croissant, this whole croissant thing, I struggle with it. I'll be honest. If they don't just say crescent rolls, which they often do as well. Do they? Yeah, I think most people try to say croissant because it sounds like French. But there are places we actually see crescent rolls on the package. Really? They don't even say croissant? Well, it's a bit like, you know, when you say French press for the coffee thing that you push the plunger down? It's a cafetiere. Is it? I don't think I saw a plunger coffee when I lived in Paris. So. Anyway, sorry, this is by the by. Listen, I've got your book here, Auguste Zang and the French Croissant. It's a really lovely book. And I have to say off the outset, I love the way you write. You've got a very lovely humorous, interesting writing style. And I'm just, before we start about the history of the croissant, 
I'd like to know how on earth you got interested in such a thing and a little bit about your background. I know you're a food writer. I wasn't a food writer when I started. I was writing a novel about 18th century France, and I wondered what people had for breakfast in 18th century France. So I joined an 18th century mailing list, and I put the question out. We end up in this wide-ranging discussion of breakfast in 18th century France. And the long and short of it is I end up being invited to write an academic paper on the shift in breakfast in 18th century France. But in doing that, I figured, okay, I'm talking about breakfast in 18th century France. I'll mention Marie Antoinette bringing the croissant to France. Only since it was an academic paper, I had to document it. And I could not find any documentation for the claim that Marie Antoinette brought the croissant to France. So that left me wondering very idly, who did bring the croissant to France? And I didn't actually think I'd find an answer. Well, you've stumbled upon something really interesting, which is very often I've noticed in the stories of inventions, the stories of origins of things. Stories are often too good to check. We like the story and therefore it just sticks without any form of rigor. Why don't we set the scene there and try and establish some of the croissant origin myths? Because you point out a couple in your book. So you've alluded to the Marie Antoinette myth. So let's myth bust that one, if you like. Did Marie Antoinette introduce the croissant? She did not. And there are a few aspects of that story. One is there's simply no mention at the time of her popularizing any pastry of any sort. There is a note that she had some kind of pastry made for herself that was made in Austria. And that might have been a kipfel. It was probably a Kaiser semmel, which we know is a Kaiser roll. You've mentioned a couple of foodie terms there. What were the words you just said, kipfel? Just explain what you mean by So kipfel was the original model for the croissant. It's a crescent-shaped Austrian roll. And the Kaiser semmel, which we now know as the Kaiser roll, but was once a much finer roll, were the two best baked goods in Austria, in Vienna. So it could have been either one of those things, but the fact is she did this very privately. And the other thing that's really important that people don't seem to consider at all is that the last thing in the world she wanted to do publicly was lean on her Austrian origin because that was a big point of criticism with the French people who sometimes thought of her as an Austrian fifth column. So it would have been very ill-advised for her to go promoting any Austrian product in Paris. Why are we so fascinated by Marie Antoinette? She kind of features a lot, I've noticed, in history stories that aren't actually true. Well, she's elegant. She was reduced to a caricature of the really selfish, well-off person. And since such people do exist, having a convenient symbol for that person is very useful to people. And of course, that story that she supposedly said, let the meat brioche, which somewhere along the line got translated to cake, just suited the narrative. Rousseau had probably quoted a princess saying that is probably where it came from. But also, she had enemies, by the way. A lot of what we know about her negatively is from her enemies, because you had these pamphleteers whose whole job was to write very nasty pamphlets and ballads about public figures. I have a weird thing. I always get Marie Antoinette and Catherine the Great muddled up for some reason. Anyway, I can imagine how we kind of think, oh, the origins of the croissant, it must be Marie Antoinette. She mentioned cake. My suspicion, and I have utterly no proof of this, but since that story of her introducing the croissant does not appear until well after Zhang came to Paris, I wouldn't put it beyond him to have told the French that she did that as a marketing move, you know, as a way of making it seem more French than it was. Because you don't see the story before 1840 or 1850. 
Interesting. You mentioned the word Zhang. I'm going to come into Zhang in a moment. I just want to dispel the other myth. So that's Marie Antoinette. The other one was that the croissant was somehow invented to celebrate victory in the siege of Vienna in 1683. And it was there to sort of represent the crescent moon. The Islamic crescent moon, more specifically. Yeah. I went to get my latest booster and there was a French woman before me and she was telling these poor nurses that story. And I had to resist breaking in because, you know, she was talking to the nurses after all. But as soon as I got my turn, I said, you know, what she just told you is completely wrong. It's a complete myth. So the big problem with that story, there's two problems with the story. One is that supposedly the bakers were awarded the right to make a crescent-shaped pastry because they helped save Vienna. Now, if the bakers had saved Vienna, you would find that story in any history of Vienna. You only see this story in baking histories. You do not see it in histories of Vienna. Plus, as a practical matter, the idea of a crescent-shaped kipfel was mentioned well before that. The time we're talking about, the start of the 1800s, I mean, we always think of French baking as the best, but that wasn't always the case. French baking was not good at the time, was it? It wasn't notable for its cuisine particularly, was it? Well, there were two issues. One is that the revolution generally brought down the quality of luxury goods because they were frowned upon. So it took a while for French baking to recover. And there's actually texts that sort of trace that, which are kind of amusing. And the other thing is the French had typically used sourdough to leaven their bread. Interesting, there was a French scientist who was in Ecuador, or what was to be Ecuador at the time, and he liked the bread in Ecuador, which was probably made with a local ferment better than the French in Paris. He specifically said this is much better than our Parisian bread. But the long and short of it is just some people thought that French bread had gone downhill. The Austrians had several advantages. They used yeast, which makes for a finer, lighter bread, if more short-lived. They had access to Hungarian flour because it was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And Hungarian flour was famously excellent. And then it was a very aristocratic regime. So they still had a taste for luxury that was sort of brought down by the revolution in France. So the people who did eat good bread in Austria ate excellent bread. And there are various people who said that the mecca for bread in Europe at the time was indeed Vienna, yes. The kipfel, this crescent roll that we've mentioned, this sort of forerunner of the crescent, why was it crescent? So it's nothing to do with the Marie Antoinette, nothing to do with the crescent moon. What was the origins of that shape? Why not just make it round? We don't know, because as I say, there were several different shapes. It wasn't unusual to make horn-shaped rolls. There was a long classical tradition of making like bull's heads or the shape of the moon. Probably somebody just rolled out some dough flat and then in rolling up came up with a crescent shape. But we don't know. You know, the fact that we know that the shape existed before that siege in Vienna is already quasi-miraculous because I think there's like one reference that tells us that. Okay, well, let's talk about August Zhang. Who was this chap Zhang, of which you've mentioned a couple of times? What did he do? Where did he come from? And how did he develop the croissant? August Zhang is a fascinating character because he was the son of a very famous surgeon. And one way to read his whole career is as of trying to gain his father's approval because he failed quite a bit. He had tried to invent a gun, which was patented, but didn't do very well. He got involved in real estate speculation. And none of this really worked out. And meanwhile, he had this very eminent father. And then eminent father died, leaving him with quite a bit of money. And for a while, he tried to live like an aristocrat in Vienna. 
but discovered that getting all the accoutrement of wealth didn't really make him more acceptable to the high society. And at some point among his many projects, he and a partner, probably around 1838 or 1839, went to Paris and decided to open a Viennese bakery. Why? Well, he clearly thought Viennese baked goods were better than French baked goods. And in fact, ultimately, he proved right. Although he had a lot of problems promoting the place originally, and apparently it struggled along. Supposedly, the Austrian embassy began to order their goods, which helped. But what really helped was he was in the same building with La Presse, which was the first advertising-driven newspaper in France. And Girardin, who founded the press, became immensely rich with this idea of instead of charging a subscription for a newspaper, you would support it with advertising. And at some point, he had mentions in the press, which were undoubtedly paid, even if they weren't framed as ads. And suddenly, his bakery was popular. Very specifically, November 1839, he really began to get write-ups in the press. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and on my podcast, Not Just the Tudors, from History Hit, we talk about everything from what Queen Consort Camilla could learn from the Renaissance. Really, when we begin to look at Queen Consorts, we notice that there's a lot of ways that women could have authority through their relationship with the king. To how you should never upstage Henry VIII. You'd have been a very unwise individual turning up to court, probably with a larger codpiece than the king, I suspect. From the real Matawaka, better known as Pocahontas. She's brought and presented to the king and queen as this shining example of what we could achieve. To how to tell someone to get lost. You could say, turd in your teeth. In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Twice a week, every week. Subscribe now to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, 
Jim, tell us what Zhang's bakery looked like. like. Where was it? And take us in a time machine back to Paris. This is very interesting because when I first read that it was on the Rue de Richelieu, which runs down by the Palais Royal, I thought, well, that's a weird place to put a luxury bakery because it's a very undistinguished street today. It turns out that in the time, the Rue de Richelieu was one of the most elegant streets in Paris. And there were music publishers there. Wagner and Berlioz used to go to their publishers on that street. There were all kinds of fashion shops. It was a very elegant street. And Balzac had a pied-à-terre on that street. Okay, so you're walking down the Rue de Richelieu, which is already a very elegant street. I bump into Balzac and discuss with him literature and... Um, well, he probably flees because he's afraid you're going to collect debts from him since he owed everybody money. Possibly. We're walking into Zhang's bakery. What am I seeing? What does it look like? So you walk in and you see a beautiful, elegant place with mirrors everywhere, brass fittings, marble countertops, all kinds of lovely pastries, because in addition to the bread goods, they made all these torts and things that the Austrians are well known for. There are little marble tables where you could sit and have tea. Is it still there or is it sort of marked in some way? No. What's sad is that the space seemed to have still been there. A few years ago, it was a Spanish nightclub, and then they've just redone the whole building. So whatever remnants there were are gone. Tell us a little bit about what uh, Zeng did. I mean, was he a baker himself or did he just, was he the entrepreneur who hired people? And what made the croissant special? Like, What was different about the way that he baked things? Well, first of all, he had studied chemistry. That was among his studies. So it is possible that he had some input into how the bread was made. He was certainly more of an entrepreneur than a baker. We don't know how closely he got involved. The big thing he boasted about at the time was that his bread was untouched by human hands. La main de l'homme n'y est pas touchée. I've got the advert here, actually, Jim. I'll just read it out. Yes, it says, untouched by human hands. New bread, new shape, purely mechanical process, kneaded, molded by machine and steamed cooked. So he's clearly drawing on this idea of mechanization and the excitement, presumably, at the time of, well, the Industrial Revolution and the kind of promises it would bring. Yes, this was a future. This was supposed to be wonderful. I think the thing to point out is that probably referred to his normal bread, which was probably made with the dough of the Kaiser Semmel. But if you look at the illustration, I think that same ad has a square or rectangular shape, which is probably how the bread came out. Somewhere I actually have diagrams of the apparatus that he developed and patented for making mechanical bread. I doubt the croissant was made mechanically. That would have involved some very complex machinery. Now, as to what he did with the croissant, well, originally he just seemed to try to make a kipful, which at the time was made with rich dough, meaning it had some milk in it. It was made with Hungarian flour. It was made with yeast, unlike most French bread. And the only big innovation he made was to introduce the French to it. And once his bakery became popular, then various French bakers began to make the same roll, but they just called it a crescent because it was shaped like a crescent. And crescent in French is croissant. But he was not the one who actually changed the croissant as what happened later on. He just introduced it to the French. Now, he did a lot of other things. Notably, he used an Austrian steam oven. And that quite simply means that while you're baking the bread, you introduce steam into the oven. There's a kind of sugary powder that develops on baking bread called dextrine, and the steam melts it. And that's how you get the glaze that you see on the surface of a baguette, for instance, because now steam ovens are absolutely standard in French baking. 
And Zhang is the one who introduced that. And that was the innovation most noted at the time. That's what people really focused on. I use steam when I, I bake bread sometimes, and I always throw a bowl of boiling water in the oven for exactly that reason. Did you learn that from Julia Child? That's where a lot of people learned it. I can't remember. No, it was an Irish guy. Oh, okay. I used to make sourdough, and I had to stop using sourdough because of the braying hipsters that suddenly everyone started making sourdough. So it was a sort of protest against hipsterness. I've started using yeast again. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Okay, steam cooking, understood. Using advertising, mechanization. He's got this new premises in a fancy Parisian street. If I'd gone into Zhang's then at the beginning and eaten a croissant or a crescent, would it taste the same now? No. Now, just let me point out before we go on that he also had a tea salon in his bakery. One of the other things he introduced was elegance in baking because the bakeries in Paris are very primitive places, whereas Austro-Hungarian bakeries were elegant with mirrors and mosaics and brass fittings and all and when you see old 19th century French bakeries, that's based on Zhang's innovation in that area. Yeah, I don't know if you know London at all. I don't know if you know in Soho, there's a patisserie called uh, Maison Berto, which is in the sort of French quarter of Soho. And it's the classic example of the French patisserie. And it's so elegant. And there's a little tea room upstairs. If anyone's in London, go to Maison Berto if you want to know what Zhang's looks like. Now, you asked me how do the croissant vary? The big innovation, and it's really not clear how this happened, the French had been using puff pastry for centuries, since the 14th century. It's probably an Arab method originally. And at some point, the first note we have is around 1890, people began to make laminated croissant. Uh, you roll out a layer of dough, and then you roll out a layer of butter, and then you roll out another layer of dough on top of that, and then another layer of butter. And originally it was just a few. These days, I think it's 20 or 30. It's quite a few layers. So when you roll it up and bake it, you get that flaky effect that we love in the croissant, which was not typical of Zhang's croissant. Zhang's croissant were crispy and shiny, but they weren't flaky the way the ones we know. Why people began to apply this French method to an Austrian pastry, I don't know. I should also point out that any baker will tell you, no, it's not puff pastry, it's croissant dough. But croissant dough is just puff pastry with yeast added. Without puff pastry, you would not have croissant dough. How then did we go from Zhang to the modern way of making a croissant to it becoming one of the great symbols of French culture? Well, first of all, the croissant by the end of the 19th century had become the French role. And there's actually an article towards, I think, 1890, which itemizes all these wonderful regional pastries that used to exist in all kinds of different shapes and says, regrettably, with the popularity of the croissant, nobody makes these anymore. So the croissant just swept France. It drove away all these traditional pastries. So it did become very popular in France. Dickens mentions it early on as a crispy croissant. So foreigners noted it. When it became an actual symbol of France, I'm not sure because you do see long, narrow breads, which would later be the baguette, mentioned early on as being very typical of French bread. I can't think of mentions in English of the croissant for quite a while. Is it sort of Dickens your earliest mention of the croissant then? In English, I think it's the earliest mention. There's certainly 1850, I think is the first mention I saw in print. And that's interesting because it's only 10 years after Zhang came to Paris and this French writer talks about our croissant. It's already considered a French product. 
within 10 years of the Austrians introducing it. Did Zhang get the credit for it? If, if it, I suppose, was it thought of as a Zhang creation or was the Zhang story slightly lost in the... Well, here's a really amusing twist to all this. In 1848, when there were all these political movements across Europe and you had freedom of the press in Austria, which you hadn't had before, Zhang sold his bakery, whipped back to Vienna and founded what is still a major Viennese daily, which is the Die Presse. He stole the whole idea from Girardin, giving the name, <laughs> and became immensely rich as a press magnate. And the last thing in the world he wanted was to be known as a baker, because when he first started in the press, people actually mocked him as this guy who dared to go to the printing press. He actually tried to pay to have his name taken off the bakery at one point. And uh, at that point, the bakery had such a reputation in Paris, the owner said, no, no, I'm leaving your name on it. You see this a lot with inventors, that sort of entrepreneurial spirit is the thing. And actually, they go on to do other things, but they will forever be remembered for the thing they don't want to be remembered for. I'm surprised that no one had sort of took the name and tried to market it. There is no Zhang bakery or Zhang patisserie to speak of, but it's a rather good story. He founded a bank. He bought mines. I mean, he was just really, really busy. And the, the wonderful thing is, as a guy in the press, he wasn't just a press magnate. Supposedly, he wrote really good editorials. So he's just a fascinating guy overall. But the last thing in the world he wanted to be known for was bread. I, I'm still waiting for some Austrian to write a biography of Zhang because he's an outstanding Austrian figure who's been understudied, really. What happened to him then? How did the sort of Zhang story end? The Zhang story ended with him buying what was almost a palace, making outrageous amounts of money. His newspaper went downhill because he underpaid people. So finally, a bunch of his journalists went off and started their own paper. At that point, he moved on to banking and mining and things of that sort. So he died immensely rich. And there was a big obituary for him in his own paper. Why on earth have we not heard of Zhang? Because he kind of sounds like the Elon Musk or the Randolph Hearst, you know, of the, of, the, of the croissant world. He is very much one of the great entrepreneurs of the 19th century. Yeah, he absolutely is. I suppose one reason we haven't heard of him is he's Austrian. Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, I thank you so much for introducing August Zhang to the world. First of all, where do you get a good croissant in North Hollywood? Ironically, the best one I know is from a Cuban place called Porto's, which is known for its baked goods. And it's become impossible to go to Porto's because they have huge lines outside. They've got several of them too, by the way. The original wasn't even in North Hollywood. There's also a supermarket, Gelson's, but they have their own bakery, which is essentially a Viennese bakery. Oh, Gelson's is great. I know Gelson's in Hollywood. It's on Franklin. Oh, you know it? Yeah, opposite the Scientology Center. Yeah, that big Gelson's there. It's great. Oh, I didn't know there was one there. Yeah, well, there certainly used to be when I lived there. So I know it very, very well. The point is, it's the croissant has taken over the world, whether you're in Paris or in North Hollywood. You can get a good croissant. Well, you know, one of the very best croissants I had was in a little Korean bakery on a side street in Koreatown because the Koreans are very good at imitating these European methods. And it's just an obscure little bakery delicious croissant. Love it. In a crazy world of terrible things, the croissant will be there as a beautiful bit of comfort food. Jim, it's been absolutely delightful to talk to you. I've so enjoyed reading your book. Where do people get it from? August Zang and the French Croissant, the book by Jim Chevalier. You've got a French name. Are you French? I am half French, yes. Although I didn't really get in contact with that side until I was in college and I went off to Paris to study. 
I'm fascinated by food stories. I love food stories. And your book is wonderful. And you've got a wonderful writing style too. And it's been an absolute delight. And thank you for bringing August Zhang to the world. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it, Dallas. Me too. Thanks, Jim. That's it. Thank you very much for listening. Hope that's whetted your appetite for more culinary inventions. We are going to be doing some more culinary inventions soon. So stay tuned. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review. It helps others discover the show. It helps the algorithms do their algorithmic thing. And obviously, we love hearing from you as well. Don't forget, get in touch with ideas. Thank you to everyone who's DM'd me with uh, ideas. Some of them are very good. Some of them are very funny. And we have I've sent them to Freddie, the producer, and we have put them on a list. And we will credit you, of course, if we use them. So thanks very much for that. And thank you, as ever, for your company. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.